based on a crappy economy that's getting crappier, based on soaring cost of financing government spending, I think we can all agree that, you know, the solution down the road, they'll take interest rates down and they'll start printing money. Greetings, land of Arcadia economics. My name is Dave Kranzler, and welcome to another edition of my bi-weekly podcast. So today, I wanted to just go over the economy really briefly. Many of you know I write and publish the Short Sellers Journal, which is a, a weekly newsletter. It's kind of self, self-descriptive there with the title. Um, and... It's, you know, just discuss the economy and what I think is going on, why I think it's going on, and why I think it means that there will be a big move in the precious metals coming. Now, the the, the narrative out there is there's going to be a soft landing. Wrong. We're, you know, the economy might go into a recession or a recession is coming later this year or in 2024. And that's garbage. That is that is just propaganda. It's it's Wall Street spinmeisters trying to justify the current extreme overvaluation in the stock market and get you to buy more stocks. Um, in the data that I scrutinize on a weekly basis for my newsletter, the economy is is already in a recession. I don't care how they want to officially define it. Uh, a recession means economic activity is contracting, and you can see here this this chart. Um, comes from a Bank of America research report on the economy, and it, it shows cardboard box demand. And cardboard box demand is, is right now it's digging for China. It's, it's almost as low as it was at the, at the bottom of the, the recession during the great financial crisis. And the reason why I like to use this indicator as, as um, a reflection of economic activity is think about it. Um, Almost all consumerism in some form or other uh, involves a cardboard box, packaging, shipping, et cetera. You go to McDonald's, what's it packed? What's your food packed in? It's packed in cardboard boxes. And so when demand for cardboard boxes goes down like this, it means economic activity. It means consumerism is contracting. And about that consumerism, this chart, this, this is actually an excerpt from uh, a week ago, my week ago short sellers journal. And this chart shows um, consumer loans in the form of credit cards and other revolving debt. So credit cards are basically a good way to measure how much consumerism households and consumers are participating in. And you can see that credit card debt has, is screaming higher and the personal savings rate is, is, is tanking. I mean, the personal savings rate is back to where it was again during the, the, the recession that accompanied the, the great financial crisis. And to be honest, because I again, I look at this number, the credit card, consumer credit, it, it gets published monthly. It's, a, I believe it's a two-month in arrears lag in terms of the data. But most of this spike up here is a result of consumers using credit card debt to make that make ends meet. How do I know that? Because there's plenty of consumer surveys out there and, and they all reflect the same thing. Um, your average household, and I'm not talking about the top 10%, probably you know most of you 
watching this podcast and and looking for alternative investments like precious metals fall into the top 10% of the wealth and income demographic. I'm talking about the bottom 90% or the majority of the country. And those surveys show that um, there's a lot of people out there that are using credit cards to make ends meet on a monthly basis. And that's not, and that hasn't changed since the price of gas has been driven down by the Biden administration dumping out our strategic petroleum reserve. Um, Another great indicator of what's going on in the economy is the housing market. And this chart shows, I sourced it from Zero Hedge, and I've got my little edit here. Um, Home buyer confidence, and this is per University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey. I mean, home buyer confidence is just, it's through the floor. And it's it's been like this for quite some time. And that shows it versus home builder, home builder confidence. And the funny thing about this is home builders are almost always confident. And they're the most confident when the housing market is peaking. Now, there, there's a few factors there that I go into detail in my um, newsletter about what what's the dynamics that are affecting home sales. And you got to break it out between existing and new home sales. Existing existing home sales, I call them used homes, um, are, I mean, they've been heading south on a year over year and pretty much on a month to month basis for I don't know, probably 18 months, something like that. New home sales had, you know, there's been a little bit of a pop. And as a matter of fact, there's been a little bit of a pop in general in the housing market. And that was a function of um, in the first quarter of 2023, interest rates fell. The mortgage rates went back below 7%. And um, housing market activity in terms of buying homes popped a little bit, but not much. And during this quarter, um, it's heading south again. And I I track that with mortgage purchase applications and mortgage purchase applications are back to their lowest level other than in March, because they fell, they they did a cliff dive in March, bounced a bit, but they're, they're now back to their lowest level since 2015. And that, and something like 70 to 80% of all home buyers, over 90% of all new home buyers use a mortgage, but in general, because you've got investors buying used homes, and that's where um, a big part of the, the increase in um, used home buying activity came from. Once again, investors still have too much liquidity in their pockets. Um, I'm sure the economy and an eventual stock market crash will take that liquidity away from them. But um, investors flocked back into buying potential rental homes when mortgage rates went back below 7%. Well, that's over. And based on mortgage purchase activity, we're going to start to see bad numbers going forward in for sure existing home sales and i'm guessing new home sales another chart i wanted to share with you and you may or may not have seen this this is from bloomberg and this is this is the estimated annual debt payments on the treasury debt and we know a lot more treasury debts coming now there's a couple problems here not the least of which is the treasury at this point unless they unless they scrap entitlements or scrap defense spending, they're going to have to start issuing debt to help pay the interest costs, especially with where interest rates are. And and the problem with this, besides the obvious, and um, in in all of history, when, when countries experience a situation where their debt is in excess of the sovereign debts in excess of 100% of the GDP, 
I think right now we're about at 120% of GDP, and that doesn't include Fannie and Freddie guaranteed debt. Um, the companies eventually, their currency collapses and the, the, co the country economically collapses. Uh, I think that's eventually where we're headed because this, this isn't going to change. This is, this is just going to get a lot worse. And it also, um, this is inflationary and it also crowds out private se sector investment, which as everyone knows, um, is much more efficient than the government spending your tax money. One more thing that I just wanted to mention um, and in terms of economic activity and this, um, I profiled AutoNation as a short in my last short seller's journal. And when you look at the numbers there, uh, you can see that, um, I mean, it experienced a decline in uh, new, it sells new end used cars as opposed to CarMax, which just sells used cars. And it experienced a decline in new car sales, used car sales, and a huge decline in its profitability. And as I talked about last time, the stock market doesn't really give a crap right now about declining profitability. It just wants to see the proverbial earnings beat. But um, based on what's going on in the economy, I think it's safe to say that uh, the economy is headed south very quickly. And uh, I'm recording this uh, on Wednesday, June 14th, before the FOMC meeting. I think these FOMC meetings are just a dog and pony show. Uh, they're essentially meaningless. Everyone scrutinizes every letter of every word that's in the FOMC policy statement, looking for changes, even the punctuation marks. It's idiotic. So I, I don't really care what the Fed's going to do today. I think I think we all know that eventually, and I don't, who knows what the timing is going to be on this. I mean, there's still a big inflation problem. The The core, the core um, CPI came in over 5%. It's, it's well above the Fed's inflation target rate. And it's, they pause today. So what? It's, it's, it's just going to, you know, it, it's, they're not, they're not helping themselves fight inflation with the way they're posturing themselves on monetary policy and with a pause and it's not just it's not just interest rate hikes they need to remove a lot of liquidity from the system that's that was put into the system since 2008 and they're not really doing that i mean you can look at the fed balance sheet and it's it's down a smidgen from its peak and it, i mean that's what they really have to attack if they want to attack inflation and they're not going to because that would drive cost of treasury issuance through the roof and it essentially would cause the markets to crash and the economy to crash. So I think based on a crappy economy that's getting crappier, based on soaring cost of financing government spending, I think we can all agree that, you know, the solution down the road, and I don't know if it's going to happen this year, may or may not. Um, I know a lot of people think it'll happen during the second half of this year, um, sometime in the third or fourth quarter. I think that's probably not a bad guess, but um, I think we can all agree that the Fed is going to pivot um, and they're, you know, they'll take interest rates down and they'll start printing money. And I don't know if it'll be in the traditional QE form. They've, they've I'm sure they've figured out some sneaky ways to print money like they did during the regional banking crisis when the Fed pumped in 400 billion into the, into the financial system. And that I would argue I would argue vehemently 
that that is why we're seeing the stock market pop right now. But the general stock market is certainly reflecting the anticipation of a pivot and a pretty aggressive pivot. I mean, stocks are insanely overvalued right now, especially given the underlying fundamentals. But the precious metal sector, precious metal stocks are not reflecting an eventual pivot. Um, sentiment is just horrible in the market, in the precious metals market. I've got a buddy who um, essentially is shutting down his business for a week and he's going up to Telluride to see the Bluegrass Festival. Um, and he, I, I was, what's going on? He goes, look, this market sucks and everyone, everyone has a bad attitude and I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels in the mud. So I'm taking a break and I don't, I actually don't blame him. Um, this, this market feels, precious metals market feels very similar to the summer of 2008 when they took gold down, they took silver down the mining stocks. Um, I mean, gold was gold and silver were down, I think something like 30% and 60% respectively. Um, and it was all in advance of the advent of quantitative easing. And, and I'm convinced that it was manipulated lower ahead of that. So that when Bernanke announced the, the money printing program that was supposed to only go until I think 2010. And, and he's, I think he said, well, we'll probably do a trillion and then it'll come out. It'll come out quickly. Well, here we are over $8 trillion later. <laughs> so much for what these federal reserve chairmen, you know, feed the public. It's like feeding the ducks. Um, but nevertheless, um, I guess my point here is, is that the mining stocks are in no way reflecting an eventual pivot. And the stock market in general is. The stock market, is, as everyone knows, has gone crazy, especially the tech sector. I mean, it's absolutely insane. So what I wanted to show here was a chart of GDX versus the SPX. And this goes back to late 2008 to present. It's a monthly basis. And when the Fed eventually, when the Fed started QE, and I, I think we kind of all knew that they were going to have to print a lot of money to, to get the, you know, and it, it didn't fix the system, but it monetized all the problems. It created inflation. And that's why the stock market went up. And that's why the precious metal sector soared. But you can see here, I mean, this is just GDX. This is the S&P. And you can see the degree to which the mining stocks just completely outperformed the S&P 500. And then the Fed started posturing about QT, which it, it sort of got into. Um, it, it started raising rates a little bit, which, you know, the market perception is, is that it's um, not friendly for precious metals. But for some reason, it seemed to be OK for stocks. And. It's crazy because, you know, when you think about it, when you think about what's going on right now in the stock market, either the stock market's wrong and the Fed's not going to pivot and the precious metal sector is saying, you know, you know what, there's not going to be a pivot or the stock market's right. And the Fed is going to pivot and that, you know, theoretically justifies the reflation of the stock bubble, especially again in, in the tech sector. But if that's the case, then the mining stocks and gold and silver should be moving higher with the stock market, and it's not. And a big part of that is sentiment. Uh, I did hear that mining stock funds were getting redemptions the last few weeks. And so, you know, people have, especially subscribers have emailed me and they're like, what's going on in this stock? And I look at it, I'm like, I don't know, there's no news. 
And um, I mean, the answer is, is that there's money pulling out of the mining stocks right now. And to be honest, uh, I don't mind seeing that because it tells me that this is is bottoming. You know, I don't know if, you know, if we're going to go lower from here. If we do, I don't think it's going to be much lower. And and at some point, it's going to become even more obvious that the Fed is going to have to take drastic measures to, to keep the system, to, to keep the gerbil on the treadmill that is our system. And that's when I, we're going to see this again. And I'm I'm highly confident that this is what we're going to see again, where the, where the mining stocks and gold and silver shoot higher, and they shoot higher over a long period of time because all that money that rushed out of that is rushing out of mining stock funds it's going to rush back into the sector and one of the things that we're seeing that gives me confidence on this is we're seeing the eastern hemisphere central banks just load up on physical gold and that and that process has continued you know the central banks and again refers to eastern hemisphere central banks bought a record amount of gold in 2022 on an annual basis and that goes back to the 1950s when they started keeping track of that stuff. Well, that pace of gold buying it continued in the first quarter, according to data from the World Gold Council. And the World Gold Council doesn't look at everything. Its data doesn't encompass everything. There's a lot of gold that gets smuggled into India. And there's a lot of gold that moves into China through Beijing. And, and the, numbers, the, the numbers are not reported in terms of the gold that goes into China through Beijing. A lot of people... A lot of people do not realize that. So I wanted to just wrap up here with one more chart to show why I think mining stocks are are cheap and relative. This is relative to the stock market and cheap um, historically relative to the stock market. So this chart shows the ratio of the Amex gold bugs index to the price of gold. And it goes from the beginning of 2001 to present, and it's a weekly chart. And I'm using the Amex Gold Bug Index instead of GDX because GDX didn't come about until 2006, and the Amex Gold Bug Index goes back a lot further. So, um, but you can see that when this ratio is high, the mining stocks are valued relative are are valued relatively high in relation to the price of gold. And when, after the sector kind of peaked in 2011, and we went into that four and a half year bear market, which was nasty. And what's going on right now isn't anything like what was going on in 2012 and 2013. I mean, it was, I mean, most of us just wanted to put a gun to our head. And we couldn't believe what was going on. But you can see, so this ratio came down and it bottomed out here at the end of 2015, which is when the bear market ended. And what I believe and many of us believe is um, the reemergence of the secular bull market that began in, in late 2000 or 2001, in early 2001. And, you know, we're maybe seven years into it. The last secular uh, bull cycle went from, again, late 2000, early 2001 to mid 2011. So it went, you know, essentially 11 years, 10 and a half, 11 years. But most of the gains during that, during that cycle came after 2008. And I think that's what we're going to see again. I mean, no one knows for sure, just laying out what I think is going to happen. And you can see that 
I mean, we know the price of gold since 20, 20, end of 2015. I think it, I think it almost went below 1200 an ounce. Memory serves me correctly. Um, the price of gold has gone up quite a bit. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, up to 2100 and it's now what, 19, around 1950. But the mining stocks have kind of, I mean, we've had fits and starts. You know, we've had some moves, some some nice bullish moves, and then they turn right back around. Another bullish move, turn right back around. We're basically at the low end of where these mining stocks should be relative to the price of gold. Um, and, and you know, this is this is twenty year data, so um, and this is this is this is statistically significant. What it tells me is we will have a regression toward the mean at some point. Again, it'll be predicated on a Fed pivot. And who knows, maybe it won't be. I mean, there's a lot of risks out there that'll cause a lot of people to decide to, to um, throw their money back into the precious metal sector. But what it, this chart signals to me is the potential for a huge upside in the mining stocks. And I probably don't have to remind some, you know, some of you, but most of you probably were not around back in 2008, 2009, um, participating in the precious metal sector. And back then, between the beginning of November and the end of the year in 2008, GDX more than doubled. The Amex Gold Bug Index doubled, it went from 150 to 300, and GDX more than doubled. And that, you know, that was in a two-month period. And it, it was the, you know, part of that is it was playing catch-up. And it, you know, the sector. This tells me here that the sector is kind of. It's like being held underwater like a beach ball. And that's the way it was in 2008. You knew it was going to pop. You just didn't know when, and you didn't know what the catalyst was going to be. And that's where we are right now. We, we know the sector is going to pop. Uh, the sentiment is horrible, which to me, I'm a, you know, I believe in the contrarian indicators. I'm a contrarian investor for the most part. And it, sentiment is a strong contrarian indicator. And the sentiment in the general st stock market is, is, reflecting extreme greed. Uh, last week, I think a record amount of cash flew, um, flowed into uh, stock mutual funds, other than mining stock mutual funds. And so kind of what it tells me is, is I think we're headed for an accident in the stock market, similar to 2008. And I think we're going to see the, the press metal sector diverge positively um, and diverge positively rapidly from what the stock market does. And for those of you who recall, um, and for those of you who might not know, the precious metal sector took off in the last two months of 2008 and kept going. And the S&P 500 headed lower after the initial pop on the QE start. And um, it didn't bottom out until March of 2009. And that's how long it took for the the money that the Fed was printing to to work its way into the stock market. So um, that's where I think we're going, and obviously we'll find out eventually whether I'm right or wrong. I wanted to mention that today's episode, as is always, is brought to you by Silver Viper, and Silver Viper is advancing its Law of Virginia project in Sonora, Mexico. You say the lovely Sonora, Mexico, which is very mining friendly, and you can find its stock price under the ticker VIPRF on the OTC bulletin board and VIPR.V on the Toronto Venture. So Silver Viper, in my opinion, is stupidly undervalued, but all the mining stocks are right now for that matter.
But based on a 2021 resource estimate, and again, remember, you don't take this as as gospel or etched in stone. These that's they call them resource estimates for a reason, and that's a, actually a regulatory requirement, and it should be. But anyway, um, that resource estimate shows that Silver Viper had 154,000 ounces of indicated gold and 260.3 thousand ounces of inferred gold. It also has 6.9 million ounces of indicated silver and 12.9 ounces million ounces of inferred silver. Using the gold-silver ratio of 82, which is also stupidly too high, the gold equivalent resource estimate is 656,000 ounces. And I want to point out or just mention that the majority of this resource for right now is open pit. And that is makes it a lot less expensive to mine and extract minerals. So um, it's a pretty significant resource given the amount of drilling that they've done so far. And I know they will be working assiduously this summer um, to increase the the grading of the resource you know hopefully we'll see it move up from inferred and indicated into indicated and measured but also increase the size of the mineralized footprint now the reason why i think silver viper is undervalued again as all juniors are right now you know, all mining stocks for that matter if you use the fully diluted share count which is around 203 million shares off the top of my head the market cap is $20.3 million, and that's in U.S. dollars. It's obviously would be a little bit higher in, if you express it in Canadian dollars. And using the gold equivalent resource estimate, that translates to about $30 per ounce in the ground for gold. So when you invest in Silver Viper stock, you're basically buying into gold. And again, it's it's that low for a reason, or it should be well below the market price of gold for a reason, and that's because there's a lot of risks involved. Um, we don't know if this thing will eventually be converted into a mine. I think there's a decent possibility that it will be. But I mean, 30 bucks an ounce for this type of resource and the stock's trading at 10 cents. You know, and I get guys all the time asking me, hey, you know, what about options on gold miners? Well, the junior, the junior exploration, micro cap, I call them venture capital plays, they basically are stock options. So um, they're, they're call options and they're call options on this resource and call options on the probability, which in Silver Viper's case, again, I think it's a decent probability that this will eventually be a mine. And if it is, you're talking about something that could be worth, again, just using the current prices for gold and silver, could be worth in the neighborhood of 150, 200 million as an acquisition play. And that would that would assume, you know, they'll, this will eventually be over a million ounces of gold equivalent. And I'm pretty certain the Belcaro groups not investing their time and money into this to just prove up a million ounces. So um, the dynamic that I'm referring to is the optionality upside of Silver Viper, which I think is, is um, quite high. And when the sector eventually takes off again, and I'm confident that it will, I think this stock could easily triple or quadruple if assuming the price of gold and silver um, rise the way we think it will, or no, it will for that matter. And 
that kind of wraps things up this week. I was going to present another mining stock uh, that is just idiotically cheap, but I don't have time for it. And also I'm profiling it uh, in this week's new issue of the Mining Stock Journal. You can find information on that at investmentresearchdynamics.com. Um, and I, I like to keep my latest and greatest information proprietary to my subscribers for the most part. Sometimes I share ideas and um, I might just share this stock um, in two weeks in the next episode of my bi-weekly podcast for Arcadia Economics. So until next time, try to enjoy your summer and please try to enjoy what you can as much as you can for as long as you can, because it's going to start getting ugly out there in the second half of this year. <laughs>